outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 276. And today I'm joined on the show by my good buddy, Dan Johnson, for a fun discussion about the Iowa turkey season, my Montana public land scouting and shed hunting trip, and two new deer hunting methodologies of sorts that Dan and I are developing. All right, welcome to another episode of the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. And today uh, we are doing something we haven't done in too long, I think. Um, It's been a while. It's been a little bit too long. And that is a full-blown Mark and Dan catch-up BS session um, on all sorts of topics. So, I mean, I don't know if we'll talk about any of these things, Dan, because we tend to go off on tangents, but we have the potential today to talk about career changes, That's to right. talk about kids, That's to right. talk about turkey hunting, That's right. to talk about shed hunting, Yes. to talk about scouting public land, Yes. Uh, to talk about uh, what I'm coining my assumption to truth deer hunting methodology. Oh boy, that sounds complex. <laughs> I know, I might need to work on the title. <laughs> Is that going to go way over my head? It might. <laughs> uh, we might talk about Disney movies. Oh boy. And I got some, I could drop some knowledge about Disney movies. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to learn a lot too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that that's just like the first 10, 15 minutes. So that's... <laughs> That's that's what we potentially have in store, Dan, or anything else. We could talk about Game of Thrones. Did you watch the new episode of Game of Thrones? No, I didn't, but it's on my list of things to do. Yeah. I woke up early this morning to watch it. Oh, boy. So, Don't talk about – okay, we can't talk about it then. Okay, fine. So you're, you're, all, you're all caught up though, ready for the new season? Oh, dude. I, <laughs> you want to talk about uh, some binge – some binging, right? So <laughs> it would be like – A little different than your college days? Well – yeah. <laughs> Different kind of binge. We didn't have Netflix back then, dude. So I'm thinking, you know, let me start this Game of Thrones thing. And okay, let's check it out. Next thing you know, um, I, I'm, you know, putting the kids to bed. Uh, I do my work, right? And then it's like, I can't go straight to bed. So I need to unwind. It's 10 o'clock at night. And uh, this is back when I had a job. And I'm just like, okay, I can just watch one episode and then, uh, 
you know, one episode and then I'll go to bed. Yeah. Bullshit. Right. It's like, it's 3 a.m. And I'm just like, oh, Valerian steel kills the White Walkers. I can't bet. They're like, oh my God. You know, like, and then I listen to myself talk. I'm just like, oh, dude, you are such a nerd. Yeah. You got to watch out. You're becoming too much like me. That's, yeah. That's, uh, that's been my typical calling card. And now you're right there with me, dude. It's and good then, stuff. And then guess what else dropped this weekend? Uh, the new trailer for Star Wars. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I saw that. That looked pretty good. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. We'll see. A lot of good nerd stuff in the future. Um, yeah, just when people think that they, you know, because I'm just like, oh, dude, it'd be awesome if we hang, hung out sometime or whatever <laughs> on social. Or, and then they're like, listen to this. And they're like, oh, man, maybe not. Yeah, seriously questioning that. Uh, yeah. You you mentioned something in passing there that we have not covered yet publicly, at least on the Wired Hunt podcast. So if people haven't been like following you in other places on your own stuff, they might not know that you are now jobless, living underneath a bridge, eating a steady <laughs> government diet of che- or steady diet of government cheese. I think is how it goes. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my fa- my wife left me, and uh, I'm living in a van down by the river. Living your dream. Um, <laughs> right. In all seriousness, though, um, what is what is going on? Are things going well? Yeah, dude, it's it's weird, right? So, like, I got laid off, and uh, so they brought me and a handful of people. Like, it was like this complete surprise, this complete like de- like company wide layoff, right? They went in and they went into certain departments and they said, okay, everybody here is getting laid off. Like this amount of people from this department or whatever got laid off. And, uh, it was funny because I walk in and they tell this news to us and my brain instantly goes to, okay, I wonder if I can fit a podcast in this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Like once I got laid off because, you know, uh, it just, it's like, I don't know, you know, obviously you think about your family and you're like, okay, how financially are we going to make this work? But luckily I made some financial moves like a week or two before that to pre- like to prepare for my, my stepping away from the cubicle life, but it just happened sooner and it happened faster. And, um, so I got a severance package and I got on top of that severance package, I, I made that financial adjustment before it happened. So now that made that transition much softer into, you know, full-time, you know, business owner, work from home podcaster. So, uh, on that side of things, it, it's just, it's almost like a blessing in disguise, you know? Yeah. Kind of something you've dreamt of for so long, but kind of, you know, there was all these different things you had to get ready. And of course it's a scary right. thing to do. And this kind of forced the issue. And it, like you said, almost seemed like a blessing in disguise. Like I talked to you, I think the day it happened and yeah. you were, you know, I could tell like, yes, it was like a, a thing that was a surprise and that most people would find to be a negative surprise, but I could already tell it right then. You're like, Hey, this could be a good thing. So yeah, absolutely. That's good that you're, that you uh, landed on your feet and I'm sure you have a lot more time now to put into everything with Sportsman's Nation and your projects with that. So that's, uh, that's going well. Yeah. So another adjustment that you have to make, you know, is to find ways to save money, right? So because I don't have a job that I have to go to every day, I, we pulled the kids out of daycare to save money, 
right? Yep. And so now that means on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm a stay-at-home dad and, you know, throughout the week. So I don't get anything done on Tuesdays and Thursdays until after my wife gets home or during quiet time when I can give my uh, oldest son the iPad and my youngest son's taking a nap. And (laughs) it's just like, yeah, it's just crazy because I can't, I can't, you know, I can't do anything else until that happens. Mm -hmm. And, um, so is it's, is it's Ava frustrating? What's Ava doing with that? She's school now already. Yeah, she's uh, she's in kindergarten. She, God, she goes five. Crazy. I know, right? She turned six. She's a six year old. I have Holy a six year old. Crap! Time is going crazy. too fast, man. When did I have Ava when we started this? Right? How long has this podcast been going on? It started the spring of 2014, so five years ago. So I guess you had okay, Ava was would, one. Yeah, and Mac Mac would have been. I don't know if he was born. No, he would. Yeah, he was born in April. Yeah, he was born on the podcast. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's not it's going fast, man. So yeah, so yeah, so she's at school. Your babysitting the two of them. I I don't know how you do that because I feel like the way me and Kylie work it since we both work from home, we split the day. So half of the day she's in charge of him, half the day I'm in charge of him, and and then two days a week her mom comes and takes him for the day. So yeah. for three days a week. I do that split thing and it's really hard, like you said, to get anything done with just one, let alone two of them. Yeah. So what I've found is don't even, I'm not, I don't even try to multitask. I don't, I don't try to do, uh, the sportsman's nation, nine finger stuff, uh, while they're here, except during quiet time. I, I just grind hard when it's my time, right? I put my headphones on and I just like hyper-focus knock three hours out. You know, I don't even get up from my chair, knock three hours out in a row. And I can get a lot of, a lot accomplished in that time frame if I'm not interrupted. Right. So like yeah. Mondays and Wednesdays, my wife works from home and, uh, she has a job where she has to be on a computer, but Monday and Tuesday mornings, my son is at preschool. So she's just watching knocks. And if you put on cartoons and you put on, um, you know, throw some toys on the floor. He entertains himself for a while. Uh, you know, give him a bottle and then he'll lay and watch cartoons while he drinks it. And it's, uh, it, it works. It's, it's working, but it's frustrating at the same time. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, we just recently, for, for whatever reason, we just have not done TV a whole lot with Everett. Um, but we just kind of recently discovered that, you know, it's okay. Sometimes when you got to do something, what you're talking, got to get some work done. Um, Sesame Street on YouTube is like crack cocaine to this kid. Oh, buddy. You put Sesame Street on and he is locked in like a zombie for 45 minutes. So if you need yeah. a 45 minute window to get something done, you just put that on and bam, it's yeah. clear sailing. It's funny because you can relate crack addiction to children's addiction to cartoons. Like <laughs> I will, I will purposely put them in withdrawal from like, I'll take the iPad away from them for like, you know, many days at a time. Right. So they won't get their, their quote unquote, uh, tablet time or screen time. Um, and then when I really need to do something like, Oh man, I got, I got this deadline. I got to, um, I got to have this podcast done by the end of the day or this, you know, this document done by the end of the day. Okay, kids, it's iPad time. And then they just, it's like a black hole. They just get sucked right into it. It's scary. Yeah, I know. And then, and then that's my time to work. So it's like, I'm using, I don't give it to them every day, but 
I, I do when I really like need them to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so speaking of, uh, speaking of the job stuff and it sounds like you got your, your hands full already, but, uh, I, I ran across a possible job opportunity for you. Are you interested in hearing about it at least? Is it because I think I ran across the same one? Is it like a, a, an adult bookstore? <laughs> no. Oh, that was the wrong one. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Although that might be a better fit for you. <laughs> <laughs> I got an I got an email the other day from some gal who is a talent acquisition coordinator. Oh boy! For a commercial bird removal company. Okay. And she reached out. She's like, hi, Mark. Uh, I'm a talent acquisition coordinator for such and such bird removal company. Uh, we like to search out hunters with extreme talent to take out problem birds across commercial properties across the country. So <laughs> she was recruiting me to go out and shoot birds and like a, on top of like a, a target <laughs> store or something like that where there's bird issues. <laughs> <Can> Holy <laughs> cow. Imagine. Can you imagine that? Oh my God. You're sitting on like, just imagine some <laughs> psychopath on top of a target, just blasting pigeons. Yeah. Away. Like, I know. That's exactly boom. what I was envisioning. <laughs> during, during store hours or whatever. <laughs> I think that could be your calling. If the if the podcasting thing doesn't work out, that might be your next gig. Man, uh, that's just that would be that would be fun though. I mean, <laughs> I would just but just imagine it the opposite way. It's like okay, you got to get rid of these birds, but you can't shoot them, right? I'm like hmm. So just imagine like you throw seeds out with all this poison in it, and then like all these bird just dead birds all over the parking lot. I, I think I would try like a netting system of some kind. I oh, think yeah, that'd like be my first on criminals. Yeah. Not a helicopter. Yes. Oh yeah. That'd be sweet. That could do that'd it. Sweet. Man, I'll tell you what, they, those birds are a real issue. I have, um, issues with birds on my back porch of my barn. I've got like a covered porch and there's like cross beams along the top. And for whatever reason, all these, I can't think what they're called. They're called, uh, shoot. Not sparrows, not uh, they're they're black. Starlings, starlings. Thank you. I think they're starlings. That's what I think it is. Um, and they just flood this porch and sit on the crossbeams and shit all over everything. Every spring and summer, so everything on this porch gets crapped on. And I've not I've I've power washed it so many times. I put like a fake owl up on the crossbeams. I heard maybe that scare them away. That didn't work. Yep. I then put these plastic spikes all along the crossbeams that are supposedly supposed to keep birds from roosting up there or hanging out up there. That didn't work. And the other thing is they also – there's like little gaps in between the metal siding and yep. then like the interior of the wall. And so they get inside the walls and nest in there. Oh, boy. So they're nesting in there. They're pooping on everything. So I, I did the plastic spikes. Then I put – like a wire mesh, uh, I don't know what it is, some kind of like wire mesh thing over all the gaps as best as I could to try to block those. Somehow they still warm in there. So you have I a can't. Cat? Uh, you have a farm cat? I don't have one that's actually mine. There, There is a cat or two that roams the area, but they don't seem to do anything about it. Um, Put some cat food in the barn, dude. And let them come and they'll start to eat the cat food. Then you got a cat on your property and that might help out. I just don't know if they can – maybe, maybe. I need to find someone 
Um, if there was like some kind of talent acquisition coordinator that hired <laughs> commercial bird shooters, that's what I need. <laughs> oh, that's money. I like how you pulled it back around, right? <laughs> it's always I like how you, yeah. <laughs> Got to end with a little with a little throwback to the earlier topic. Uh, so yeah, that's a job opportunity for you. Speaking of job opportunities and birds, um, my son can yelp at turkeys now. Oh, really? Did I tell you that? Did I bring that up in the past conversation yet? Is it just, does he mimic your turkey call? Yeah, he mimics my turkey calling, but he he's kind of half decent for a one-year-old in three months. He, he, he can do like a, a bop, 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 yeah. which is pretty good. Um, Let me ask you this. Yeah. What happens if your son grows up and he has no passion for whitetails, but he turns out to have this extreme passion for turkey hunting? Would you be ashamed of him? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it could be much worse than that. So I would take the turkey passion. I'd be very okay. happy about that. I'm more worried that he's going to have like an extreme, an extreme passion for like playing the flute or something. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do then. <laughs> Hey dad, check out this sick solo I just came yeah. up with. <laughs> yeah, the kid he's he's amazing and I and I really like music. Um so like music's always playing in the house and like I'll dance around, just be goofy and stuff. So he really loves music and he loves like dancing to music and he's always bobbing his head. Um so my wife always jokes this, you gotta be careful. Before you know it, he's gonna be like full blown I don't know what, doing I I could see him doing something Music. I'm kind of hoping he'll be like a techno DJ or something. I could see that working out. <laughs> but, but I literally like, what if he gets into show choir? Right. Right. Which, you know, the, whatever. The, a lot of the spear fingers. <laughs> yes. My wife was in show choir. Was she? Yeah. I could see, I could see you and her doing a pretty cool little like duo number. Yeah. Um, Me and my bad knees just doing some straight gangster break dance and stuff i feel like your spirit fingers would be like just a little bit over underwhelming compared to most yeah. people right i gotta um, i'd have to shake my thumb really hard to yeah make up to make up <laughs> uh yeah um yeah if he's into that kind of stuff whatever but uh but i do hope that he likes something to do with the outdoors mm-hmm. um and it is nice to finally get some good weather i feel like it's been a crappy long winter here now, finally, we had a few nice days, and he's been able to get outside and do some fun outdoor stuff. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force a transition here, if do you it. don't mind. No, do it. Okay. And so I, I see that, you know, I follow you on Instagram like a lot of people do. So I'm just like scrolling through, and I see, oh, man, Mark is in Montana, and he's shed hunting. That's cool. And then I specifically remember you saying, yeah, dude, when I go on my shed hunt, I'll let you know. <laughs> And then you never let me know. And then I, I guess I didn't go shed hunting in Montana because I don't have a job anymore. And I had, <laughs> I have some free time. That's, that's a fair point. <laughs> I, uh, I'm really, really horrible when it comes to this stuff. Cause not only did you apparently, um, get, uh, the shaft on the invite, but I also talked to two other friends of mine about going with me Well, multiple other friends of me and, and all of them, I completely flaked out on cause, cause my schedule is so funky um yeah, schedule i or know it could just be that you're a bad friend it could be that i'm a bad friend i am also a bad communicator so that <laughs> i can admit to that um but but yeah, i've been talking about doing this trip like originally i was going to do it the last week of march and then i got yeah. pushed to the first week of april and then i got pushed to the second week of april and i i never knew when i was going to go was so dependent on um both like family stuff going here and then like meetings that are going to be happening at meat eater 
that I was going to be in Montana for. So I literally didn't buy a ticket to go and didn't know for sure when I was going to go until three days before I bought three days before it left, which is when I bought the ticket. So yeah, one of these days it'd be fun to get you and a couple of, a couple of the other guys out and do, do a big group tri- trip out there in the spring. Cause it, it is, uh, it's pretty sweet. You saw, you saw how I did. Yeah. Yes. You just like became the scoop master. It looked like <laughs> it, uh, the area makes makes it easy to do that. It's nuts. It's like it's not like anything I've ever experienced. It's so much fun. There's no shed hunting as much fun as shed hunting in a western state like this where there's a lot of deer. Yeah. Um so so what did I do? I flew out uh on Tuesday, last Tuesday, and I specifically bought my ticket for Tuesday because I thought that Monday night Michigan State would be playing in the national championship game. So I was like, I need to, I need to be home to watch the national championship game with my wife because we've been watching the games together and enjoying that. And I'll fly out really early the next morning, really happy about it. Uh, well, we lost in the first game of the Final Four, so we didn't make it. So that was disappointing. But, um, but yeah, flew out Monday, had meetings Monday, Tuesday, or no, meetings Tuesday, Wednesday. And then uh, Wednesday night, scouted out three different pieces of public land that I'd never been on before. Um, and so this is like half scouting for future deer hunts, half shed hunting. And, you know, basically everything I've looked at, and I've talked to you in the past about this, but basically all the spots I look for, whether it be in Montana or I did some like map looking at Wyoming and North Dakota too. Um, I'm always looking for these rivers that run through these Western states because there's this great cottonwood cover and Russian olives and alders and different crap down in these river bottoms that provide cover for whitetails. So... Three public spots the first day. Um, hiked a bunch. I don't know what the mileage was on that day because I wasn't tracking it. But um, the first two spots are kind of meh. Um, everywhere I went, though, there were already boots. So there were people that had walked everything. I'd, and that ended up being true everywhere except for the last place I went. So out of the – let me think about this. I think five different sections of public land I checked, the first four had already been walked by someone. Yeah. Um, which I guess, you know, is to be expected, especially since this is kind of late. Well, not late for most people, not necessarily late for out west, though, because snow is just coming off, you know, in the last two weeks for a lot of people out there. Yeah. Um, but kind of meh. Didn't see quite as much deer sign as I was hoping in the first spot. Second spot was okay. Third spot looked really great, um, but it looked like some a lot of people had been walking it, and it was kind of close to a decent-sized town. Um, so I think that just there's a lot of people had been through there. Um, but I did find one shed on that first day, and then that last spot has some potential, I think, for possibly hunting. Um, next day, I drove down. I was going to go... Um, my original plan had been to head over to the general area where I've hunted the last two years and scout out some new spots there and then shed hunt the spots I didn't know. But this big snowstorm pushed through last week. Did that hit you guys in Iowa? Uh, it came – it actually came to the north uh, northern counties and then hit uh, Wisconsin pretty hard. Gotcha. Well, it was supposedly supposed to be hitting – Montana really bad. I'm looking at the weather forecast and they're predicting like 10 to 15 inches of snow in these places I was going to go. And I, I'd already bought the plane tickets. They're non-refundable. So I'm thinking, geez, like what a waste of time. I was pretty upset. Um, decided, well, I'll just go down to this Wyoming spot. I wanted to scout and shed hunt. So I start driving to Wyoming and then I'm like an hour away from the border. And all of a sudden in my head, I remember, oh crap, Wyoming has a shed hunting season. Yeah. 
they don't open yep. till May 1st. So I'm like, I just drove two hours in one direction to go to Wyoming. And now I realize I can't even pick up sheds there. Um, so fortunately, two things. Number one, the week before I had gone on Onyx and just like waypointed, I don't know, 15 different pieces of public land that looked good around the state. Right. So I had just a whole bunch of potential spots to check out. And one of those spots happened to be just like five miles away from where I was. So at least I could go check that one out. So why not check that one out? And that one looks really good too. But literally, this is like the morning. It's a Wednesday or Wednesday? It's a, no, it's a Thursday morning and like 10 o'clock. And there's someone out at this property scouting and shed hunting too. Like oh boy. who is out doing that on a Thursday morning except for somebody like me who doesn't have like a normal day job doing this kind right. of stuff. So hey, this guy had like bow hunter and whitetail stickers plaster all over his car. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, this isn't going to go real well. Um, so start walking, but it's, it's a really good looking chunk, really super thick. Some food right. around it. I really liked it. It's a good spot. I think that could be worth hunting. Um, tons of sign, but only found one shed. Uh, but I think that could be, you know, because th- this person was out there and maybe a lot of other people have been out there too. So that was another one, just good check the box. But the the big point of this is that fate intervened and I got a text message from one of the ranch owners out on my main area who said, hey, we didn't end up getting as much snow as they predicted. Um, we probably have two inches and the sun's out. It's probably going to be melting off by this evening or tomorrow. You might still want to come out. Okay. So... That was a big positive. So I was like, you know what? Okay, this spot, not that great. I'm just going to turn and head back to this other main area. And so I made like the four and a half hour drive across to the original spot that I wanted to hit. And I had three different pieces of public land there I wanted to check out. And then some private land that neighbors it that I have permission on as well to walk. And uh, the the long story short on that is that first night, one piece of public, I, I don't know if I if I talked to you about this one or not last year, um, but I hunted this spot one day last year, just snuck in hunting edge to kind of observe and, and saw a nice buck and saw a ton of deer. And the next two days I hunted that main spot and killed that buck. But this area, you have to hike like a mile and a half across these big rolling grassy plains and then drop down a Canyon to get to a river bottom. And so I go across this big plain, I get to the beginning of that Canyon and I see some mule deer way off the distance. I'm like, oh, man, that's cool. There's some muleys out here. Um, I wonder if I could find a mule deer shed. And I just, as I'm thinking that in my head, I step over the hill and I can see down this little, I don't know what you call it, like a little bowl in the side of the hill. Yeah. And right there is sitting a match set of great big mule deer antlers. And I want a, I want a mule deer so bad, dude. Uh, it, yeah. Uh, I feel like this, this gave me like a little more of like an interest, like holding those in my hands. Yeah. Just seeing that lane there was really, really cool. I mean, I I don't know how to I, – I could measure them, but I haven't measured them. But they're big. Uh, interesting thing about mule deer antlers is they feel much lighter compared to whitetail antlers. Really? So like, these are big sheds. And then I held a smaller whitetail shed in one hand and then this big mule deer shed in the other. And the whitetail shed is, is heftier than the mule deer shed. I don't know what that's about. I, I'm pretty sure it's not in my head. I'm, I'm like it really feels like a dramatic difference to me. Um, so I guess it's the density or something um, is different, possibly. Maybe I'm sure there's somebody out there who knows better than me. Um, but I found that pretty interesting. But yeah, match set, big. Uh, what is it? Like I guess it'd be a four point side, but with big deep splits on the G twos. Um, so that was awesome. I'm jealous, buddy. 
it was it was cool. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. So, let me ask you this. Uh, was it a, you said it was a big set, right? A, a big match set, but like, obviously, mule deer antlers, compared to whitetail antlers are always kind of bigger. You know, I should, I shouldn't say always bigger, but you know, you know what I mean? Like on average, um, was it something that would be considered a shooter out there? Oh, I would definitely shoot it out there. Yeah. Um, so I'm not good at, I've never tried to score mule deer antlers. So like just by like looking at them, I don't know what I could tell you as far as like what the score would be. Um, but if I were to look at this set of antlers and, think what kind of like whitetail if i was scoring it as a whitetail um i don't know like a 160 170 okay. something like that so a good one like a good one like big frame because i didn't i didn't see a picture of you like doing the standard double fist yeah hold, you know like the right and your left hand and the and the right whatever you know holding both antlers and doing the the pose but i did see the pics yeah of them on the ground so it's yeah. hard to tell how big they were yeah the reason why there's no pictures of me in there with them is because i brought my good camera and tripod out there and i thought okay i could do some like you know self-timer pictures like that um and then i went to go try to take a picture and i realized that i forgot to put an sd card in the camera (laughs) so i had no sd card out there (laughs) so the only pictures i could take were with my cell phone um so that was a little disappointing but yeah they're they're big like they're the biggest antlers in my house probably um bigger than any whitetail shot i have so that's pretty sweet 
And then uh, I found another shed down in that river bottom, got to scout that whole area out real well, which was nice since the, the one time I hunted it, it was just, you know, sit on the edge. So I feel like that's a definite future option. And then, uh, then the next day, you know, I got to walk that area that I have hunted in the past and picked up 21 sheds that day. 21 sheds. I found 16 before noon. Jeez. So when you're on a roll like that, did you have to make a pile and then come back to it? Or were you able to attach them all to your backpack? <laughs> I was able to fit them all in my backpack. Um, but like, this is the first time ever while shed hunting that I actually had like sore shoulders from my backpack. <laughs> Never in my life has that happened, but I literally had like really heavy backpack, which is a really nice problem to have. Um, it was crazy. It was just a situation where, you know, and you heard about, I mean, we've talked about how these hunts went. This area has a lot of deer and there's a good food source there. So there's a ton of deer bedded around there. Um, and I don't think anyone, the, 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 the private land that this is kind of checkerboarded with that landowner had picked up a handful like, out in his fields. Um, but that's basically it. So I had pretty much first dibs on the, on that private stuff there. And then the public is really hard to get to. Um, so I, I, I doubt if anybody else tried to get in there. Um, and I, what sucks is that because of just the time constraints, I only had one day in this area. Um, that, that first night I checked out that piece of public, but I only had one day to hit this little section. And then I had to leave bright and early the next morning to catch a flight home. So I didn't even get to cover 50% of it. There's a whole nother section across the river that I didn't get to go to. And that's where me and Josh found most of our sheds last year. Last year. Yeah. So there was probably as many or more sheds sitting over on this other side that, uh, that are just going to sit there. So in the back of my mind, it's like a little sad, uh, realization that there could be some just giant bone over there that's untouched. Cause I talked to both this landowner and then another rancher both said that they seem to think that the bigger deer are on the other side of the river. And that kind of seemed to be the case because last year we found bigger sheds on that other side. And this year, since I didn't go to the other side, I didn't find as many of the bigger sheds. And then this neighbor also showed me some trail camera pictures that he had down that way of some much bigger deer than I've ever seen out there. Um, Like, I don't know, high 140s to 150 class. And that's good for Montana, right? Yeah, that's really good for Montana. Um, Like out there, you, you see like tons of like, 120 to 130 bucks and then i think you know there are 140s 50s 60s etc but but i haven't seen anything over 140 probably but it's yeah. just it's just so much fun because you see at least for a guy like me in michigan who sees like one buck over 125 a year to see five of them in one night is just an absolute blast um so that's why i really like it out there but i feel like this year uh, if I still hunt this area, which if for a while I was thinking, eh, you know, I'll try somewhere new just for a new challenge, but this reinvigorated me to hunt there again. <laughs> um, but I think I want to be more picky. So I think this year I want to try hunting it and like, just try to find one of these really big old ones. Um, yeah. cause the buck I killed last year was a nice one, definitely a nice buck, but there were definitely older deer there. Um, I think I think I want to like be okay with like okay I'm not going to try to get it done in four days and move on to the next state I'm going to plan on like seven days here, and just like see what's out here like really see what's out here maybe run cameras I never run cameras out there before, um, 
take it to the next level. Maybe try to hunt the other side of the river, which I've never done because um, I, I was worried about getting too cl- close to like the main bedding areas over there. But maybe I can get away with it if I get smart about it. Um, yeah. So I'm intrigued by the by the options. And uh, let me a- let me ask you this question because it, it just popped in my head. I've never hunted whitetails in multiple states before. Right. So in Iowa, I'm selective. Uh, You know, I like last year I shot my biggest buck ever. Right. So uh, from an antler perspective, Uh not from an age class. But when you're hunting multiple states. Right. And let's say obviously your standards for Iowa may be different than Michigan uh, or Illinois or or Ohio or Montana or whatever. You just talked about, you know, maybe going for a different, a, a higher I know class or I guess, you know, whether that's antlers or age class in Montana, have you come to the point now where you, you feel okay with eating your tag in a state like Montana that does have so many deer and an average deer, a good representation of that Montana, uh, I guess, age class and, or antler size is that 120, 130 class buck? Yeah, I think, I think that, um, you know, it, the goals definitely change for me each year as I get, you know, like the first year I went out there in Montana, it was like, I just want to see if I can kill uh, a three and a half year old, like representative buck on public land out here. And I was able to do that on day three. And like when the first opportunity came, I took it. And then the next year I I did try to be a little bit pickier um, and didn't end up seeing anything that really was what I was looking for. So passed on some decent bucks. And then last year, I kind of had, I kind of went back to the, the year one goal, which is, right, yeah, let's just get, let's just get a nice buck out here, have that experience, try this because this is um, a spot I hadn't killed one yet. Was able to do that last year, but now I've got two years in this area. I have two years worth of shed hunting and scouting. I know a lot about it. I know the area. I know what, I know what's out there. Like at first you didn't really know what was out there. So you kind of thought, okay, it looks like a three or four year old, you know, one twenties, uh, you know, 120 is a 130 type buck. Like that's probably like a good, like that's one of the good bucks here. That's a great buck to take. It would, it would uh, like you said, be representative of, a, of, of an upper age class buck. But now that I know that there actually are older and bigger deer there, I kind of like the idea of just like seeing what could happen. So yeah, I would be okay eating my tag um, because I kind of like the idea of just the mystery of what I might be able to possibly find and I'd like to hunt seven days straight there and see it and try it out and figure some stuff out. I think I, like, I originally the first year I hunted there, I thought, well, I might be good with like one or two or three hunts in this little spot and then it'll probably be blown out. Now I know because of some access, what some ways I can get in and out that I can hunt it more than that without spooking the deer. So I'm just figuring stuff out a little bit more each year. So now between that and now also having seen some of the antlers that we picked up that tell me that there are actually some much bigger, older deer out here. And then, you know, seeing pictures, pictures from the neighbor that also give me indicators like, Hey, there's this whole other class that you haven't seen yet. Um, and I'd like to kind of push myself to try to find that deer. That's just like a fun next step for me as I'm trying to, you know, we always talk about how like we like that next challenge. And so I really enjoy the challenge of figuring out a new property which I did for a couple of years. Now I'm thinking if I'm going to hunt the same little section again, I want to push myself in a different way. And I think that different way will be trying to find that next step up the ladder as far as challenge uh, and, and the deer I'm after. So 
I think that's what I'm going to try. Um, and I think it's possible. It'd be, it'd be fun to give it a shot. So that's where my head's at at least. We'll see. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. But yeah, I mean, my, my goals are definitely different for each state. You know, we've, we've talked, you know, my Michigan goals for, for a long time, we're like to kill a three and a half year old here in Michigan, because those are really hard to come by in the spots I hunt. And then the last couple of years is like, okay, you know, you've killed some of those. Let's try to kill a four year old or older. And that's still where I'm at here. But then when I hunted Ohio, different. When I hunted in Iowa, different. Montana was different and now it's changing. Um, you know, I think when you come and hunt in Michigan, I think it'll be the same way. You'll have one set of goals and that might change once you hunt Michigan three or four years in a row, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, I think I think we're going to have to look back at that verbal contract because <laughs> I You're said, trying to weasel your way out. When I get, when I quit, like when I quit my job, I'll, I'll come and hunt Michigan, but I got laid off. So you're I'm really going to gonna- <laughs> We're going to have to get some lawyers involved here, I feel. Oh, my God. You're getting tangled up in the semantics, Dan. Right, right. Well, here, let me let me tell you. Let me just ask you this, Mark. And I have to play that card because <laughs> I'm going on an elk hunt this year. I'm going on like, – like if all things go right, like there is a chance I don't go on any out-of-state hunts depending on, uh, you know, the, finance, the finances now, yep. right? But there's a chance I go on a elk hunt. There's a chance I go on a mule deer hunt, which is all the only way I'm not going on these hunts is fight the finances. Yep. Right. I got approval from the wife, right? It's, it's game on for both. And adding a, another trip at this point would be, I think detrimental to my relationship. <laughs> but, but, but let's talk about one thing. Let's talk about integrity. Let's talk about <laughs> let's talk <laughs> about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, just know that the offer is open. Maybe next year, um, when you got things lined up, we can try to yep. work on trying to find you a spot out here to hunt. And uh, it's not, you know, it's not Iowa, but you can have a good time still. Oh yeah, and, and that's uh, I don't care. Like, obviously, Iowa has a special place in my heart, but I don't care. Like I don't care about antlers, right? So I'm I'm all about the experience. So yes, I live in Iowa. I have the luxury of potentially shooting a deer with big antlers. That's an older age class. But if I walked into a, a Michigan a public a piece of public on Michigan and had the opportunity at a you know 110 105 inch deer that I that gave me a perfect shot at d- during a run and gun, that's an awesome experience as well. Right. And, uh, I think I would, you know, I would, you know, I don't know. I I find the experience of everything more than the end result. Right. Which is, you know, potentially hanging an awesome deer on your wall or whatever. I'm glad that that's where your head's at because that is a very important quality to foster as a Michigan deer hunter. You have to, <laughs> you have to be very focused on the experience because the the big ones, while occasionally they show up, it's not too often. So gotta you gotta just enjoy the the grind. That's uh, that's what it's all about in Michigan. So speaking of experiences, I want to talk about turkey hunting because yeah. I saw that you had a hell of an experience this past weekend too, huh? Yeah, so I'm going to do a little bit of self-promotion here, all right? And (laughs) well, and that is, so we, I ended up bringing a camera guy along with me. I know, he took a very uh, seductive shot of you 
fondling a beer bottle in your mouth. And I, and I saw this picture and I really want to do some Photoshop work on it oh, and send it back to you. But, but that's neither here nor there. Continue. Get your mind out of the gutter. You think I'm the dirty one. You're dirt. You're just as dirty, dude. Professional photographer. Yeah. You, you took him out there with you. <laughs> why, why did you do that? So anyway, uh, like I'm making this short film, right? I'm going to make a film. Uh, well, well he is actually, but I hired him to do it. And, uh, it's going to, it's about this tradition that we have every year, right? April is turkey hunting season, but it's kind of more than that because it's basically a family gathering. So it, yeah, we do go turkey hunting, but we also play cards. Uh, we eat a lot of food. We go fishing. We play outside when the weather's nice. And it's just, it's just an awesome tradition that we've started. And as every year, I feel like more and more people are coming over to my mom's house, mom and stepdad's house. And it's become something bigger than just turkey hunting. It's like, uh, it's a tradition now. And, uh, that's what this short film is going to showcase. And, uh, uh, it's going to be coming out. I don't know when, probably May, June sometime or whatever, but it's, nice. uh, it's like a representation of what, you know, like hunting is awesome. Killing a turkey or a deer is awesome, but there's more to it than just that. Right. And I wanted yeah. to have this film showcase that, but I'm telling you, the first day, uh, Friday, it was a little windy and, uh, we went out to a spot that usually produces and I'm telling you, man, and this is you and your wife, me and my wife and a camera guy. Uh, we get up there, the sun, you know, we, this was the first year we didn't use a blind. It was straight off the ground just for better, you know, filming purposes, get a lot more cause it's difficult to hunt in a blind. You, you, I feel like, or film in a blind, I feel like you lose something. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, we walking through the cattle pasture. First thing we notice, there's no cattle in it. And I'm like, okay, this is awesome because typically the turkeys, if there's cattle in that pasture, they are deeper in the timber, right? Well, this time there was no, there was no cattle, right? So, okay, awesome. We walk through the pasture, we get to this fence line. It's starting to get to the point where I, you know, I look at my wife and I say, Hey, they're going to start gobbling in about five, 10 minutes. We hear, you know, five, 10 minutes later, we hear a couple gobbles in the distance. I pull out the slate call, you know, just a burp, burp, burp. gobble like next ridge over. And it was like a real small, like a smaller ridge to where they could easily pitch down onto this ridge, the ridge that we were at. And, uh, you know, he gobbled three times. I'm like, okay, here's where we're going to set up, set up. I, I get down and, uh, you know, the camera guy's behind me. I got my wife sitting to the left of me. I'm sitting next to her, she put the decoys out, you know, we're, we're situated. He gobbles, uh, two more times and I'm like, okay, this sucks. We got to move because there's all this, all this thickness. And I think he was going to come to the extreme left of us. That's like, he's still in the tree at this point. So I don't know, but we, we had to quick move. So I left the decoys where they were at. I moved us all, I don't know, 20 yards to the left, a little bit more so, to where the timber was a little bit opened up and uh, sat down. You know, I started hitting the slate decoy again and uh, or the, the slate call again. <laughs> I was going to say that's a new thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a heavy. It's a heavy decoy. By the way. <laughs> but, uh, uh, hit the slate call again and 
the next gobble he did, he was on the ground. And then it, uh, I started really making the slate call go quiet again. And uh, his head popped up. He walked 20 yards. My wife shot him. I mean, it was the one of the easiest, fastest turkey kills I've ever been a part of. Like, I've killed some birds that have flown in and they've strutted out and then they worked their way in. But this bird flew down, walked up, and got shot. I mean, it <laughs> happened so fast. I think I think she killed this bird at 610 or 615. <laughs> this, this is her second bird, right? No, this is like her fifth. Oh, fifth really? Or sixth. Jeez. Yep. Because she started turkey hunting in – 2011 that was the first year first two years were just horrible weather then in 2013 that was her first ever turkey (laughs) and then she went on a roll for like three years she killed you know three turkeys in a row then the one year she was oh man like nine months pregnant in the blind it didn't work out the next year was bad weather again and she had something she had to do. So I got my bird and then what she killed another one last year and another, and then one this year. So yeah, I think she's sitting at five, five birds since 2011. So that's a, that's a pretty good success rate. Yeah, that's pretty good. So what did she think about? She have a good time or was it too fast? No, she loves it. She loves the fact that we can go, we can slam a turkey, and then we can go to this local diner. We can drink coffee and eat breakfast. And then she doesn't have to get up early anymore <laughs> for the rest of the trip. And then it's just like me, right? Yeah. And then later that afternoon, my stepdad killed one uh, on the farm he was hunting. And uh, and then and then it's just really relaxing from there because, yes, I wanted to kill a turkey on camera for you know for the film. But I don't care. Like when it comes to turkey, and I think me and you have discussed this before, it's just it's secondary hunting, right? I don't lower care. Pressure. Yeah, lower pressure, definitely lower pressure. Exactly. I want to be successful, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And uh, so we went out the rest of the day. Nothing. Not one gobble on the entire farm the rest of the day. Um, day two was more of the same. Heard some gobbles initially off the roost. And it was one of those days where it was brilliant out, bright, no clouds. And typically that gets the, uh, you know, gets some hammering throughout the, you know, throughout this valley that I hunt. And man, we didn't hear, we didn't hear what we thought we, I was going to hear. And uh, the, then the entire day just bouncing around left and right, bouncing around and uh, no gobbles, no encounters. And then it was Sunday morning. We ended up uh, going back to one of the original spots and uh, all, you know, got these birds gobbling really close into the, uh, these birds gobbling really close. We got set up and they were roosted on another farm, but typically they work their way up into the property that I could, uh, that, you know, I can hunt. And uh, man, this Tom pops up his tail fan his uh tail fan pops up and i'm like it's on he's coming he's gonna come towards us and he's at about 60 yards and i hunt with a 20 gauge so i'm not gonna take a real long shot i think my max would probably be 35 40 yards with a 20 gauge no choke on it nothing right just a regular gun and uh uh then i see a hen head pop up and then i see another hen 
had pop up and he lost interest in me really fast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was, you know, held up at about 60 yards. I kept calling and it felt like the more I kept calling the, uh, it annoyed the hens and they're just like, Oh God, let's get out of here. You know? And they left and the Tom went with them. And then, uh, you know, we bounced around a little bit more and, uh, we're walking up this fence line and there was this, uh, strutter pops up right in, right in this green pasture, right on this fence line. We were walking up. And, uh, so I instantly dropped to the ground, crawled over to this tree, put the decoys out, crawled back to the fence line and you can just barely see his fan. And I start calling and he starts gobbling. And, uh, again, I think he was with a hen. And uh, as I started to call, he worked his way in and then he was gobbling, gobbling, responding to everything. And then he just worked his way away, which tells me he was with hens, right? Yeah. So, um, made a couple more attempts and that's all she wrote, dude. So I ended up, you know, I ended up, uh, not harvesting a turkey this turkey season. And, but I tell you what, it was fun, man. <sighs> I love, I love those days just where they're, you know, where you're in the action, they're talking, they're coming your way. Like you were mentioning off, off the roost. There's nothing I like better than hearing that first bird off the roost in the morning. Um, now, did you get to hear your favorite sound in the turkey woods? Because you told us in the past years what your favorite sound is in the turkey woods, that favorite moment. Um, will you, will you, do, A, do you know what I'm talking about? And B, will you demonstrate again? My favorite moment in the turkey woods? Yeah. you. Every year I ask you bring this up. Your favorite thing that happens well, while man, turkey hunting. It's a sound. Uh, and it's not a gobble. <laughs> Come on, really? Oh my god. I'm 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 dropping the ball here. <laughs> I can't what? do it nearly as good as you. But I'll give you like oh, the first yeah, sound. Okay, okay no, no, I got it. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it was too windy. We couldn't we didn't hear it. You know? So and that Tom only that Tom that came up from uh that for my wife to shoot, he just came in. He came in uh, to a full strut one time and then came out of it and it was windy. So we, we couldn't hear it. Right. Um, and then the other times, you know, throughout the weekend, we didn't get close enough to hear it, but yeah, I do love that sound. I do love it. Let me hear yours. There you go. (laughs) There's probably some really serious turkey hunters out there listening to this going, that guy's such a dipshit. (laughs) So when I was in uh, Montana last week, um, yeah. there was a turkey calling contest um, yeah, I saw that. at a bar one night that I went to. And that was pretty fun just to hear everyone do their different things. Each contestant had to do a Yelp. They had to do purr. They had to do like a series of different calls, um, like kind of like demonstrate a, a whole run of how they would try to call in a, a hen. And then they had to do a gobble. Yeah. Um, and there were some, there was a couple people who were like really good. And then there was a few folks that <laughs> uh, it made me feel okay about my calling. Um, <laughs> I can't use a mouth call period. You know, I couldn't until last year and last year I was like, you know what? I just need to figure it out. Um, and I'm so glad I did. I, I would recommend trying to, trying to figure it because it, it is way, I think the sounds you can make are way nicer. And then the biggest thing is just like if you're hunting solo, 
you know, it was, I always, it was always such a challenge trying to work the slate call and then hold the gun. You know, sometimes you just want to make a couple final calls, but you can't do that while you're in position to get a shot. Cause if you move, you're busted. So the fact that I can make those final couple calls while, you know, holding the gun and not moving that, uh, that makes a big difference. So you should pick us, pick up a diaphragm, give it a shout. Yeah, I have one. I just don't use it. I don't, I don't know. You're right. I need to try because last year I was, uh, trying to call a Turkey in and it, it came in, it read the script. And then I set my, I guess, what do they call it? The striker uh-huh. down and it slid off my pants and it landed on the slate Ooh. and it made like a click noise. And then the Tom went whoop and then he went the other direction. <laughs> yep. Yeah. yeah, those little things. Yeah, it's yep. funny. You know, when it comes to that diaphragm, I remember I had one and I kept trying it. It just sounded like crap and I couldn't get it to sound right. Um, but then like every couple of years, I'd buy a couple more and like fiddle with them and just never could quite get it. But last year, I just remember I had a bunch of different versions last year. I was like, I'll just keep on trying all these different ones till I find one that sounds good. And then just kept messing with like the positioning of it in my mouth. Um do you use a do you use a, a diaphragm call when you're elk hunting? Have you figured out how to use one of those yet? Uh, no, I don't. I personally don't use a diaphragm. I use a handheld. Okay. So with any of these diaphragm mouth calls, it's like it's really hard to figure it out by taking like what someone tells you. Like they'll tell you how to do it, or you'll watch a video, and it's just like it's really hard to translate that to what it actually feels like in your mouth. Until like you just mistakenly happen upon the right feeling. And then once you get the right feeling one time, then it's like, oh, yeah, that's easy. Now I get it. But it's just something you kind of have to stumble upon yourself. So the way I finally did it is I just had them in my truck. And whenever I was driving, I would just toss them in my mouth and just like screw with it and try to make different noises and move it in different forward and backward in my mouth in different positions until it finally like clicked. And that would be kind of my best advice is to just try that. Like I think most of us know what it's supposed to sound like. If you've heard turkeys, if you've watched some turkey hunting, calling videos, that kind of stuff, it's just a matter of figuring out the right way to have it in your mouth and, and to, to make that motion and draw the air through your mouth to figure it out. So just screw with it. And I think you'll figure it out eventually, but it's, it's cool once you can do it. Sounds good. I need to, I just need to straight up practice. Yeah. It's uh it's it takes a little bit of practice, but it's fun once you do. We were um, last weekend. I had my family down for dinner. Um, came down to visit us for the day, and we we're sitting on the deck behind my house. And there's a bunch of woods and stuff behind the house. And we're sitting there eating hamburgers and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I heard a gobble. It was the first gobble I heard this spring, all spring. Yeah. And I was like so pumped. It's like, oh my gosh, there's a gobbler out there. <laughs> I'm like, hold on one second, guys. So while everybody's eating dinner, I ran into the house, grabbed my call, ran back out to the deck and started trying to yelp it in. Um, didn't bring the bird in, but uh, it got me really excited. So our season opens one week from today. So awesome. I'm excited to get out there. And uh, I'm also going to hunt um, South Dakota this year. For turkeys. For turkeys, yeah. Oh, nice. Um, nice. I got invited on a group hunt with um, Ben O'Brien from the Hunting Collective and Spencer, you know Spencer, Spencer Newharth from Media there. Yep, yep. Um, and then it sounds like, I don't know if this is all official, but from what I hear, supposedly Randy Newberg is coming down with his group and the folks from the Hunting Public. And supposedly it's going to be like a 17-person group out there, all turkey hunting. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, I kind of. Who's putting that on? 
I don't know who's organizing. Kind of seems like Spencer's organizing it, and Sam Soholt. You know Sam? Oh um, yeah, I met him. Yep. So Sam's gonna be out there too. So those are the two resident South Dakotans. So they're at least helping organize like where we should camp and the general areas that we should explore. I guess. Yeah. Um So I just got kind of. Uh, I just got pulled in and Ben's doing like a turkey tour going to like a bunch of different states. So I'm going to come along with him for a few days in South Dakota and maybe Nebraska and then uh, do some meetings in Montana. So that'll Bingo. be, yeah, that'll be fun. A little extra turkey hunting for me. So, Hey, if you see any big mule deer or well, big body mule deer, you let me know where the exact location that you see them at. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm going to go look, scout that. I'm, I'm going to try to talk my wife into a, a two or three day summer, you know, maybe early, mid, late, I don't know when summer tour, not tour. Oh yeah. A little like vacation a little trip, a little, yeah. Mini vacation where it's just me and her. We go out to, <laughs> it's like, Hey babe, I got, I got this awesome idea. <laughs> We're going to go out to South Dakota and I'm going to scout some mule deer and you can come with me. And she'll be like, that's dumb. I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Badlands National Park is right there. And that is beautiful. And then uh, the Black Hills. You can go see Mount Rushmore. That's like an icon. You got to go yep. see Mount Rushmore so you can say this is like a, a sightseeing trip. The yeah. Black Hills are beautiful. Um, you got to do, oh gosh, the Needles Highway or the, the Needles Scenic Byway or something like that. It's like a scenic drive through the Black Hills. Yep. Um, I actually haven't done it, but uh, several of my friends and my wife did it. And there's mountain goats. I think there's bighorn sheep, um, beautiful terrain, a lot of critters, uh, 
that would be a good little spot to go check out with her too. And then uh, Devil's Tower isn't too far past that, right? That's not too far away yet. It's a little further west, I would guess, like an hour, hour and a half west maybe. Gotcha. Um, And yeah, that looks amazing too. So you could could hit all that stuff right in that little area. That's a quality family trip. Have you ever been to Death Valley? Uh, No, I've not. I don't I think there. I don't think that's a quality family trip. <laughs> no, pretty hot, <laughs> pretty hot and desolate. Um, why do you want to go there? I don't know. It's uh, it's a tr- it's a landmark in the United States that I want to visit. Yeah, well, hey, it is it is hot and it is a landmark, so I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be a good idea for you to try to get some scouting time out there. And if I do see any good sign or anything, because we will be all in that area that I know you want to go. Um, I'll be keeping you posted. Sweet, buddy. Sweet. Um, can I run my deer hunting methodology by you? Yeah, I want to hear this because it sounds like a crossword puzzle. It's like <laughs> you're going to say something and I'm going to have to figure out something else. Uh-huh. Like, like a little clue that I need to find another word for. <laughs> or it could just be really simple and you're just trying to sound smarter than what you really are. So that's typically all I've ever done is just try to sound smarter <laughs> than, I, than I really am. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing here. <laughs> no, but I was – I don't know when I like coined this idea in my head. Um, but I'm trying to like flesh it out into like a, a deer hunting – I'm I'm calling it a methodology. I don't know if it's a methodology or a theory or like a strategy, Um, but a way to kind of simplify the decision-making process around choosing when and where to hunt. And so I've been kind of doing this in my head and I started to like realize it's kind of like a thing. And I tried to explain this to Cody DeQuisto like a month or two ago and I don't know if I made any sense. So I wanted to like rethink it, explain it to you and try to get your thoughts. Like, does this make sense? Is this a way to help people understand this stuff? And is, okay. is this a good way to like think about stuff? Um, cause if so, it might be like a good way, especially for like new folks that are trying to get into deer hunting, especially if they're trying to kill mature bucks. If that's like the, the step that they're at now, this might be a helpful way to approach it. So I'll explain this to you and then I want your feedback. Okay. And this is something that I started kind of doing this past year. I started like more and more the way I hunted was this assumption to truth methodology. So basically what I do before each hunt now is I have all the information that we've collected, you know, through scouting, through trail cameras, through past year's observation. Like there's all these different data points, right? And all that data will lead you towards what you think is maybe like the most likely scenario to play out. Let's say it's an evening hunt. We'll have a most likely scenario. So we'll make an assumption. So the assumption, let's say on this hypothetical night is given with this wind direction, given that it's October 1st and there's a good food source here and I know there's a good bedding area there and um, you know I know this thing and that thing. I'm going to assume that the deer, based on all his previous knowledge, is bedded in spot X. And I'm going to assume that he's going to go to spot Y. And I'm going to assume this specific path that I think he's going to take. Now, in past years, I would think through that as like one possibility. And then I would think, well, then there's this other possibility. He might do this other thing. And then there's another possibility. He might do this third different thing. And then you would like try to set up in some spot or you would head in kind of hoping that one of these things would work. Um, but what I found is that when you go with all these different hypotheticals, 
you don't set up as well and you don't think through things as well and you don't execute as well as if you were to believe all those things were truth. So let me rephrase the scenario then in this other way. So instead of it being an assumption, you believe that you change that assumption to a truth. So now you say, okay, if I thought the very most likely scenario was that the buck was bed in spot X and that he's going to go to spot Y, I'm going to flip the script in my mind and now let's just say it's true. He is bedded in spot X. He is going to spot Y. If I'm going to assume that to be true, what am I going to do? So if I know that's true, I have to make sure that I access in this very specific way. Because if my wind blows in that one very specific place, I'm screwed up. I'm going to set up just this very particular perfect spot for that one single scenario. Because I know he's X and I know he's going to Y. I'm going to have to be perfectly crawling up in my tree stand because I know he's here. I know he's an X. I know he's only 80 yards away. If I screw up, if I make one noise, I'm going to spook that deer. If I was just thinking, well, that's one of the possibilities that he might be there. Maybe I would have gotten a little bit lax with my access route. Or maybe I would have been like, well, I can scurry up the tree. And if I make a little noise, that's not that big of a deal. Because, yeah, he might be in spot X, but he might also be in spot Y. He might also be in spot Z. He might be blah, blah, blah. The point of this all being that when I've tried to set up a hunting scenario with like a whole bunch of different possibilities in mind, I set up in a spot where it's not perfect or I'm not doing the perfect thing for any one of those possibilities. It's just kind of like an okay setup for all these different possibilities. But when I go to switch from my assumption to a truth, I set up for that one possibility, but I'm perfectly set up for that one possibility. And I think that when you are targeting mature bucks, you are going to be more likely to have success when you are set up for the one possibility perfectly. Because when those few opportunities come about to get a shot of mature buck, you kind of need it all to be perfect for that thing to work out. So I started operating this past season where before the hunt would go out, before the day, I would think, okay, like, for example, when I was hunting Frank, this is what I started doing. There was those days in early November where I'd seen him the night before with a doe and I thought, well, he might be still with that doe in this thicket. Um, in past years, I would have thought, well, he might be there, but he could be anywhere. And it's a real pain in the butt to, to not go through that little thicket because that's usually what I have to walk by to get to most of my other spots. Um, so, I mean, the odds are he could be anywhere. So in the past, I might have said, I'm just going to get to my stand fast. I'm going to go past that thicket because, yeah, he might be there, but there's an 80% chance he could be somewhere else. I just got to get to my stand fast, get up, and then whatever happens, happens. But this year, I said, no, I'm going to say that that's the truth. He is in that thicket. That's the most likely option. Even though maybe it's 21% chance he's there, it's still the very most likely option. I'm going to assume he's in there. And since I know he's in there right now at five in the morning, I have to go the extra mile around the entire property to access the other way. Cause I know I'll spook him if I go through the easy way. And that's what I did all this season was this, take the assumption, change it to a truth and then plan everything around that truth. Now, yeah, it's not going to end up being true most of the time, but that one or two times a year when your assumption is truth and you plan perfectly for that truth, it's perfect and you get the kill. That is like this theory bounced around my head. I don't know if I'm articulating it clearly or not, but what are your thoughts about everything I just explained there? I'm following you. First and foremost, I'm following you. 
However, I think that is it's a good early season methodology. But when you come into the rut and you throw chaos into everything, I don't think that would necessarily work as well. This is just me, you know, in, in my opinion. But from an early season pre-rut type of, um, I don't know, methodology, I, I really do think that uh, that that would work. I mean, you know, if you if if you're confident in your decision making and you're confident in your access and you're confident in uh, a buck's core range, I I feel that that would work. And 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 I think it can be applied to the rut too because because obviously like the one single thing you believe isn't going to be the truth all the time but it's more so like you have to you have to look at all your data and you have to pick the highest possibility right because if you if you it's just like a job or just like a hobby like if you try to do anything if you try to do like 15 different things you're not going to do any one of them really good so you can be a jack of all trades and be like decent at a bunch of stuff or you can decide I'm going to focus on this one thing and be the best damn person in the world at it. And I think that if you start focusing on like being the best damn thing at this one specific option during a hunt, and it could even be November 1st, obviously stuff's not going to go exactly that way, but you got to say, what's the most likely scenario? And so let's say during the rut, it is, I believe the most likely scenario is that there's going to be a buck coming in to check this doe bedding area. And I think the very most likely thing is that he will come downwind of this specific bedding area. So that's going to be my truth. And I'm going to set up perfectly for that one scenario. Um, I think that puts you in a better position to get shots. And, and of course, there's other things that deer, that these deer might do. It might not work out just the way you imagine it. But my theory is just that if you set up and think about those things, like it just seems like if you go into it thinking, well, he might be here, he might not, you start hedging and you start getting lazy and you start doing things because you think like, well, yeah, my, my wind might blow into this area for a little bit, but I don't know if he's there. Might be, might not. I don't know. Right. Um, but if you go into it thinking, I'm going to assume it to be truth that he is there. So I cannot screw this shit up. Yeah. I think that at least, at least for me as this is like, it's really helped me. I think, I think the whole point of this is this is something that I've started doing in my head. It's helped me to like, to do what we always talk about, which is like pay attention to the details. Don't cut corners. Focus right. on those small little things. When I start changing these maybes to like, it's true in my mind and saying, hey, you got to operate as if he's right there. You've got to operate as if this is going to happen. Just like that scenario you, you're hoping happens. You got to think it's, it's going to happen. And so do everything just right for that scenario. I think by doing that, it's like kind of flipped another switch for me. Um and so that, that that this is this new thing going on in my head. I'm curious to hear, yeah. curious to hear if that makes sense to other people too. Um, and it might be something that I'll continue to like talk about through this yeah. year as I apply it. And, and maybe we'll see. Maybe now that I'm starting to like articulate it and like put this thing. It, it used to be just what I was doing, but now I'm trying to like explain it. And maybe as yeah. we go into this season, maybe as we try to like look at different hunts throughout the year, I will talk through this and it might not make sense. Maybe as we get into the rut this coming year or whatever, but I'm yeah. kind of curious. I'm kind of just curious to see what, how this actually works. If it's something that, you know, other people could replicate, if it's useful to think about, I think the reason why, the only reason why I think I bring it up 
I'm sure you get this too. We get tons of questions from people, like tons of questions, like giving you a scenario and then asking you, what should I do? Where should I hunt? Or how should I get into this spot? Or, you know, what should I do in this scenario? Everyone's always wondering, what should I do in this scenario? What should I do this Saturday when I go in for this hunt? And so like, how can we help simplify that decision-making process or, or help like, um, put a framework around. There's, there's no like decision-making framework out there for people to help understand how to make these decisions. Um, it's always kind of like, well, think about all these different things and trust your gut and then go do something. Um, I'm just kind of curious to myself if there's a way we could like put a set of steps in place to help new people do it. And this might be, this might be a way to start doing that. So I don't know. I might be, I might be barking up a crazy tree here, but well, if you got time, I have been thinking about somewhat of a methodology. It's a little bit different through this year as well. Oh, okay. Let's hear. Do you have a long fancy name for it? Uh, it's called the Dan Johnson look at dots on a map and play connect the dots method to killing big deer. Okay. I, that has a certain ring to it as well. <laughs> now I just made that up. I just made now, that up. Is, uh, is that like uh, a name that has some meaning behind it or is this just to make you sound yes. dumber than you actually are? No, no, it, it has meaning. Okay. So I, I always am looking at trail camera data, right? But I'm never looking at, I'm always looking at at a micro level, like, okay, this deer showed up at this point, but I'm never comparing that to where, let's say, and I'm just going to use my buck, for example, uh, from this year, because what made the decision for me to hunt where I hunt on that night is because I have trail camera data and historical data where I found a shed, where I got trail camera pictures of him. And I literally hunted right in the middle of that on a, on a really good terrain feature. And that is where I killed this deer. Right. So that opened my mind up to, man, I'm only, I'm looking at this almost too macro, right? I'm looking at it where only where a specific trail camera is and it's the latest Intel, but what I need to be doing. So what I did was, uh, I, I took that information and I transferred it over to gnarly Charlie this year. Right. And, and last year. Yep. So every trail camera picture I had of gnarly Charlie throughout the entire farm on this map, I put a dot. I put a dot where he was in the summer. I put a dot where he was late season, during the rut, October, whatever. So I have this, these dots. Then what I did was I took a line from every dot and I, collect, I, I connected it to another line. Right. So now what you have is this shape. Right. And inside of this shape, you have where all these lines cross. Right. So it's kind of like when you're flying on a plane and there's like the map that shows you all the different connecting, like from one airport to a different airport. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you yeah, seen that yeah. map? Yeah. So it's Something kind of like, like that. that. Something like that. So now you imagine you have like I'm, I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm looking at six dots on a map. Okay. All these lines are connected. There's no, there's no shape, right? Then what I'm doing is where all these lines cross in the center is kind of like a core area, right? And that doesn't mean he's living in that core area because 
But what I'm looking at is I'm looking in this area, I'm looking for the main terrain features that I feel are conducive to deer movement. Mm -hmm. Right. So when the time comes for me to hunt this deer, I'm not going to focus on anything outside of that shape. Right. Because he hasn't shown up. He hasn't shown up ever throughout the entire year outside of that on any other trail cameras that I have. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to now I'm bringing it back to a macro level after I've collected all this data over the years. I'm saying that the odds of him outside of this area are lower than what they are inside of this area. And as you get down to where more lines start to cross, in theory, he's going to be in that area more than the other areas. Uh Right. So now I'm looking at the, the topographic map. And I'm saying here is terrain features. Here are bedding areas inside of this shape is where I need to be focusing on killing. And this is, this is only, this only really works for when you're targeting specific bucks, right? You're using this trail camera data to, and, and applying it to the terrain features on a map. And you're saying I have the best odds hunting this particular spot. And then you go a step further, similar to what you said. Now you start breaking it down into individual scenarios and you say, okay, on a West wind, I need to hunt here on an East wind here, South, North, whatever. Right. Or if you're saying that, okay, here, here is the highest likelihood of where this deer is living, where he's traveling throughout the year. I need to find access into this particular location for every single wind direction. Yeah. Right. So sometimes it's going to be harder. Sometimes it's going to be easier, but I feel that if you really look at a core area, you're going to know a lot more about this deer. And then you start, you know, you start getting into that area and hell, maybe he's there. Maybe he's not, but guess what? You hunt in this and your access, you hunt in that specific area on those specific terrain features where deer like to move, you're going to run into them over a period of time. Yeah. That's, that's my thought process. I like it. Um, I, I like that. And I love this just kind of stuff. These yeah. kind of conversations and this strategy is, I mean, this is why whitetails just, it never gets old for me. Absolutely love this stuff. Like I wish you were over here right now. I wish we could be looking at a map together. Like I want to yeah. like, I want to see your dots on the map and like think through this strategy with you. Yeah. The, the crazy part is, is I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a specific ridge right now on this map that I have that I, my mouth is literally watering to get a stand in it. And I've never thought of it before until I started thinking about how deer use ridges to bed how they use, you know, how they're traveling through this property to food sources. And it's one of those things where, dude, I'm going to be like, if I, if I apply, I'm going to apply this method this year to hunt, you know, this deer, if he, if he survives, right. If, if he shows up on trail cameras this year, I have enough data now to where I'm just going like, all right, here he is. Let's, uh, let's give this a try. I'm looking at this one specific Ridge where I feel Man, it's just like I want to get in there right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, now, what time of year do you think about – when do you think you're going to start getting after him? Because last year, I think if I remember, you took your first stab at him in like mid to late October. Is that right? 
yeah, it was, it was mid October, um, based off some historical, you know, it was, it was based off one trail cameras, historical data. Yeah. Right? So I went back there to that one particular spot, which after, after I look at that particular spot, right, it's outside of that, the, the shape, right? So, um, you know, maybe he was coming off of a ridge, but maybe he wasn't because that was outside of all the places that I got trail camera pictures of him. Hmm. Right. So I, I went in and if I'm going to, if I'm using the this new method, I would have never hunt there, hunted there. So what are you, uh, so you, you're going to focus within your, your core shape that you're building. But yeah. what about, when do you think, have you, have you thought through like already the scenario you, you envision as, as how you're going to take that first step? Are you going to, look at that same date range again, or are you going to wait for weather or are you going to go just rut focus on them? What, where's your head at right now? Yeah, it's probably going to be late October this year, just because I'm going to be going on the, if, if I do go on this mule deer hunt, it's going to be first to one of the first two weeks of October. Okay. So I won't even probably step foot on this farm until the third or fourth week in October. Well, it's not a bad time to start. That's yeah. uh Right when they're getting a little antsy. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I don't know, like you've been thinking about your style. It's just like I can't get – It's isn't it crazy that we're trying to – you know, a lot of guys don't think of hunting as this sh- like in-depth strategy where you're using, you know, like scientific method to break down yeah. like animals' movements and thought processes. But you look at you look at all the trails – that are on your farm. They're there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Every footprint is there because that deer feels safe in that particular moment. Right. And the now is great because it's wet in the timber and you're, I was out there turkey hunting and all I was doing was looking at these trails and seeing how they intersect. I would love someday if I had some extra time, to put on my GPS map on Onyx, right? And just walk these trails through the timber, you know, only going where there was a deer trail. Yeah. And looking at that data and imagine that data on top of a map of what I just said. Yeah. Holy cow. Now you're looking at like pinch points. Now you're looking at, um, like, can, like, I, I would assume that, a. uh, a trail down to the mud is just a more traveled trail. And then yeah. you add that to where you found shed antlers and you add that to where it, it kind of gives you a heat map of deer activity. Yeah. Well, what you could do is you go out there with your dots on your map for your, where your trail camera pictures have been and either have do this on your map or even better do it in person. Look at those points in the map and then try to find on when you're actually there on the ground try to find the trail or the best feature like how they would how a deer would actually get from dot number one to dot number two right see the actual find the actual trail or the ridge or the pinch point that he would have to go through to get between those two and then map that so then you have okay here's all the dots where i know he actually was and then here based on what i saw on the ground are the actual trails that get between A and B or here's the actual pinch points between A and B. And then having all that would be then like that next level, which should be pretty sweet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ah, I think if we apply, if we took that and then you then like you described, 
go in there one day, have that perfect scenario in your head, take the assumption of what you believe to be true based off of all that data, make it a truth in your mind. You now have the Dan Johnson dots on a map connecting them to kill a deer, assumption to truth, deer hunting methodology for 2019. Yeah. And wow. there you go. You're all set for the year. <laughs> Man, I, I feel a second book coming on, Mark. Yeah, that might be the plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's like we go so deep. It's like a thousand pages of this like data that people are just like, okay, man, you've literally taken the fun out of deer hunting. And no one has read it but you and me. <laughs> oh, but that would be fun. Um, I think that's probably a good place for us to wrap it up, man. Um, I know you got stuff to get to and – I do want to bring up one email I got um, really quick before we go. This is just like a really nice thing for me to make me feel okay about my life and my choices and the way I've decided to to move forward as a as a young adult. Um, this I'm not even going to name the guy. We'll just call him R. He emailed and he had a whole long email about different things he did and how he's appreciated the stories we've shared on the podcast and how he's learned things and so on and so forth. And he ended it by saying, uh, quote, I also had a poop attack this year in the stand, and I had a good chuckle with your story since I could relate. However, comma, mine did not end as cleanly as yours. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that I hope he puts that out. If he's listening, please go to iTunes and leave that as a reveal. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So with that, my buddy, uh, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Thanks for thanks for jumping on, man. Absolutely. Talk to you later. And that will do it for today's episode. Appreciate you listening. Hope you enjoyed our little BS session here. It was good for Dan and I to get to catch up. Hopefully fill you guys in a little bit on what is going on in our lives as we head into the summer, hopefully, someday here soon. It feels like we just went from winter straight into the end of spring. But uh, I'm ready for all the great things that late spring and summer entail, uh, obviously, from what you just heard us discuss, you know that we're already thinking a whole lot about deer hunting season and uh, everything that comes with that too. So thanks again. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.